Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Hey there. This episode, I chat with Ilya Preston, who's the co-founder and CEO of PackSafe. We go deep into the world of supply chain and logistics and talk a lot about the software hardware platform that they're putting together. And uh, it turns out to be a pretty awesome plug for the generator program as well, uh, which is accidental and unintended. But uh, we also are involved a little bit with the generator team and think very highly of them. So uh, that was really cool that that emerged uh, a little bit organically uh, in the podcast. So check them out as well. If you are not a subscriber to the podcast, please do that. Leave us a comment online or shoot me an email at mkelly at startupcompetitors.com. Always love the feedback and please enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Ilya Preston, who is the co-founder and CEO of PackSafe. Ilya, welcome. Thanks for having me, Mike. Why don't we start with the quick elevator pitch for PackSafe? Sure. So we build smart parcel IoT solutions that aggregate critical data from the supply chain and enable cheaper, more intelligent shipping and cargo insurance. So if you think of the global supply chain as a whole, it's kind of like the the Wild West, right? There's a lot of B2B and B2C shipments that are shipped uh, all over the world. And really across the board, there's kind of an overarching theme where there's just a true lack of real-time visibility. And that results in a lot of inefficiencies. That results in a lot of theft counterfeit, product damage, and product loss to the tune of over $600 billion of losses a year, right? So it's it's definitely a big deal. It doesn't discriminate based on the verticals or, or the types of companies that are involved. When you, when you think of pharmaceutical companies and medical devices, you know, they have to ship in uh, tight temperature and humidity tolerances. They have to ship in accordance with FDA and DSCSA regulations, you know, food manufacturers have to abide by those same temperature and humidity uh, regulations. High value shipments are often subject to theft and, and counterfeit. Uh, so it's a problem across the board. And really, if you take it one level deeper, think about how you have to insure these shipments. So obviously, these shipments require some form of shipping or cargo insurance. And that area has seen you know, a little bit of trouble. It's a lot harder to do than you would imagine. In fact, over the last five years, cargo insurers have actually paid out more in claims than they've brought in in premiums. And we've identified, you know, two kind of main reasons as to why we we believe that's happening. So first is there's really just a lack of data from the supply chain. If you think about an excursion that happens, you know, theft or counterfeit or damage, 
a claim is filed with the insurance provider, you know, they then have to go out manually and, and basically try to do a full root cause analysis and figure out what happened, where it happened, when it happened, who had custody. But they, all of that is based on historical assumptions. It's based on qualitative information. And then secondarily, uh, that information that they receive, those assumptions are then what's driving future underwriting policy. So it's a, it's a broken system. It's a broken process. What we do is we provide hardware and software, a platform that provides kind of a, a digital footprint that's capable of answering who, what, when, where, and how with regards to any given shipment. And what this does is it enables these shippers, these logistics carriers, and the insurance providers to basically do three things. Number one is uh, maximize their ability to salvage or save any at-risk shipments real-time through these real-time alerts. Number two is minimize that time and labor trying to figure out what in the world happened after an excursion occurred. So a claim is filed. We can import that digital footprint directly into the insurance claims workflow and automate that whole process. And number three, perhaps most importantly, you know, we capture all sorts of data, everything from, you know, shipment zip code risk, time, day or night that the package is being shipped, number of planned and unplanned stops along the way, you know, the courier that's used, the type of packaging that's used, even the driver on any given route, third-party data like traffic and weather patterns, et cetera. And we feed all this through our internal kind of machine learning engine. And what this does is it enables us to spit out a form of a, a risk assessment. We call it our adaptive insurance score, which to the insurance side enables them to price their policies based on actual supply chain risk, as opposed to this kind of overarching, you know, what is your shipment of your value worth or what is the value of your shipment worth? And then alternately on the on the shipper side, it provides them the ability to optimize their supply chain decisions based on uh, speed, risk, or safety of the package. All right. So that was legit. You took a space that I know absolutely nothing about <laughs> and uh, you broke it down very nicely. I, I think I, I understand what you guys do. Are are you selling to the to the manufacturer, the carrier or the insurer? Yeah. So that's a great question. By and large, uh, we're selling to the to the manufacturer, to the OEMs. We do have, you know, so right now, just to kind of preface all of this, we are in uh beta testing with nine enterprise partners. So we're not yet commercially launched. Uh, that's coming up later this year. The majority of those are shippers or, or OEMs. We do have one uh, carrier and we also do have one insurance company as a part of those pilots. Uh, but those are a bit of uh, a unique case where they, they have a specific application or use case. By and large, it's it's the shippers or the OEMs. Perfect. And you, you just rolled nicely into what is typically the next set of questions, which is current status of the company. So just kind of break down maybe how you got to where you are today and then paint a picture of, of what the company looks like today. That could be team size. You already hit kind of the number of beta customers. Um, if you guys are raising funds, funds raised, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we're uh, we're a relatively young company. We started about sixteen months ago or so. Uh, we were actually born going through the the generator program, which is a, a nationally ranked accelerator program uh, out in uh, Milwaukee at the end of twenty eighteen. 
Um, we're a team of four now, uh, full time, and, and we have about six uh, full time contractors as well. Uh, so we we are very much uh, growing. We're definitely pre product market fit. Uh, we have nine uh, enterprise partners uh, that are that are on board and, and piloting our solution. You know, about four hundred Trek X. That's that's our first product to the market. Uh, four hundred Trek X units out there in being piloted today, or I should say probably pre-COVID-19, that was the case. And yeah, we we raised our first kind of institutional round in 2019. Uh, Have a a great group of investors as a part of that round. Uh, Rondo Ventures, group out of the the Midwest, presence in Missouri and Utah. They led the round. We have, you know, Northwestern Mutual uh, and their seed fund uh, as a part of that uh, original institutional round, uh, Cream City Ventures. And then some other great groups, early stage VCs, Comeback Capital out of Ohio, uh, Right Side uh, Capital Management out of San Fran, Generator, obviously, the Accelerator Program, and, and then some micro VCs and angels as, as well. We are going to be raising uh, a next round, our seed round later this year. And, you know, had, had COVID not happened, I think we would basically be announcing that raise uh, closer to the end of this month. But with everything that's been going on over these last uh, couple of weeks, or, or I, I guess I should say a couple of months, uh, we're probably looking more so at a Q3 timeline for that raise. Got it. And is that, is that delay primarily just because you're, you're nervous about what has happened to capital in the last couple of months, or is it just because it's, it's made it impossible to run the beta program as effectively as you were hopeful that you'd be able to? Yeah, no, that's a fair question. <laughs> or, or yes, all, all the above. <laughs> no, no, I, I'd say it's definitely a, a bit more of the latter. Um, I think we could go out and and you know, complete a raise. We we have you know a part of that round already filled up, so we do have firm commitments towards that round. The biggest thing is, I mean, the betas were in large part uh, going to be driving you know things like valuation, certain terms, yeah. And without having, I would say that that strong uh, customer validation from beyond just a few customers, you know, from across the board, basically the the nine partners that we're piloting with. It certainly displaces some of the leverage that we would have from our end, and uh, it's it's more or less a strategic decision. But and it also makes sense from the standpoint that we were able to extend our burn, you know, from a startup standpoint, from a you know pre seed slash seed stage company. We're actually, I would say, doing relatively okay compared to we're, we're certainly not sitting on you know King Midas's treasure, but. Uh, we we have a pretty strong runway, and and we're able to make that kind of a decision. We're fortunate enough uh, to be able to make that kind of a decision and pause and and, and basically resume the raise probably in uh, Q three. Got it. Right on. All right. Talk to me about competition. When you think of competitors in the space, who or what comes to mind? Yeah, so the asset tracking market as a whole is about a you know great, more than twelve billion dollars. It's a pretty saturated market. But if you go and talk to, and you could actually go Google, you know, pretty much any Gartner uh, analyst or, or VP, you can go talk to any carrier, uh, any shipper. The number one theme or, or pain point that comes up recurrently in this space is this lack of real-time visibility end-to-end through the entire supply chain. Why? (laughs) Essentially, 
all of these providers are providing raw data. You know, there's there's a lot of telematics companies out there. There's, you know, temperature data loggers, there's GPS sets, there's, you know, RFID solutions. But most of these are providing raw data and it's passive. It's it's not real time. It's not contextualized. So, you know, you might get, you know, latitude, longitude coordinates, or you might get, uh, you know, a shock sensor that tells you that, hey, this package has just undergone a shock, but that doesn't really tell you anything. You don't know if, if, uh, if that shock was caused from a package drop, you know, of a package that was poorly fastened in a truck, or if the carrier, you know, threw it against the door, uh, or if he was just, he or she was, you know, carrying it under their arm and it was just bouncing around, or if it was poorly packaged or sliding around in the back of a truck on a pallet, uh, you don't get that level of contextualized differentiation. And that makes it difficult for, you know, carriers and particularly insurance companies to go in and, you know, perform their root cause analysis and really put any credence to that data. Secondarily, you know, the solutions that exist are are very piecemeal. There's uh, not a strong level of integration with existing ERP. How do you get that level of granularity? Yeah, so that's some of the great work that uh, we've recently brought on some machine learning uh, engineers. And they're looking at actually building out models and algorithms, looking at uh, sensor movements and analyzing those sensor movements, looking at variables like pressure, you know, package tilt, vibration, uh, far beyond what's, you know, what's kind of currently collected in, in a typical shock sensor environment. And looking at these conjunctions and, and different variables of, of movements and analyzing them and then putting hypothesis together, you know, that say, hey, based on these six variables or eight variables, we think this was a package drop. It started at three feet and it, this was the acceleration that it reached. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of these variables that come together that are, you know, looked at on a, on a time variable basis that are looked at, you know, in conjunction with other variables. And we analyze those form hypotheses and then uh, test them. And uh, thus far in the, in the development, you know, we've, we've had a lot of success in actually actively and accurately predicting well, first analyzing and, and getting the right response, but also to some extent being able to predict where high risk routes and high risk areas are for similar types of events to happen. Hmm. Legit. So, for in a in like a layman's mind, which which is mine, <laughs> uh, I it would be it would be comparable to me thinking kind of like Fitbit does with exercise detection, right? So it can try to determine kind of what you're doing and call out very specific exercises. You guys are doing that same thing for a box. Bingo. Bingo. And and not just doing that, but also then being able to prescribe and make recommendations based on historical analysis uh, to make sure that you're limiting your risk, you know, moving forward. So if you have very, obviously couriers have, hundreds, thousands of routes that they take, different drivers. We look for patterns between these different variables and, and correlations between these dif- different variables to be able to predict where high-risk events or excursions may occur in the future. Perfect. And then uh, before I rudely interrupted you to dive a little bit deeper into that, you were going to talk about how you differentiate competitors in a sec- from competitors in a second way? Yeah. Yeah. So 
I was just laying out, you know, no contextual intelligence, uh, poor integration. They, they do a poor job of integrating into enterprise workflows. And then uh, most of the solutions that are out there today from a telematic standpoint really focus on visibility, but they can't provide you with full chain of custody. And what I mean by that is they can't tell you specifically who packaged a shipment at a given supplier, vendor, or OEM. Uh, they can't tell you if your box was open before it reaches its final destination, exactly when it was open, where it was open. You know, They can't provide you with electronic proof of delivery through the app or, or through the platform right then and there, real time, whereas we can do that. The biggest differences that we have compared to you know the the competition number one we focus on that chain of custody so we can actually capture who did the packaging who did the unpackaging we can capture any sort of real-time excursions that are happening uh, throughout the lifespan of the shipment whether that's route deviation uh, whether that's somebody's opening or tampering with your box uh, or pallet or, or shipment and, and you know that real-time electronic proof of delivery secondarily we provide that contextual intelligence that I was talking about, right? It's not just a true or false value where a shock, you know, event occurs and we're able to tell you precisely what happened with your package. And that enables us to partner with insurance companies and, and basically uh, they're interested in the data that we collect. We also have a, a different business model where, you know, currently operating under a hardware enabled SaaS uh, model, which I think is a, a sexy way of saying it's a it's a leasing model, uh, but it's <laughs> you know certainly a little more investor friendly. Uh, as a part of that business model, we actually handle reverse logistics, uh, which is a major pain point for for the adoption of, of these kinds of solutions in the market. I think we're and, one of two. And let's let's pretend like I don't know what reverse logistics means. Sure, sure. So reverse logistics is essentially. You know, you have shipments that are sometimes shipped uh, both ways. That would be a closed loop system. So you're shipping, uh, you know, uh, a distributor might be shipping uh, a piece of jewelry to a retailer and that retailer might be returning more jewelry uh, that wasn't used or wasn't sold back to the distributor. Reverse logistics is where it doesn't come back. So it's only a one way use case, right? So we actually handle going out and, and collecting you know, these units from their delivery points and and handling all of the logistics so that the customers don't have to worry about, hey, how do I get the, these units back to the starting point? Got it. And then the final piece is, you know, just from the UX UI standpoint, I think, you know, if you go in and, and look at our platform, a, a lot of these platforms that are currently on the market are, are somewhat dinosaurs uh, from a, a UX uh, perspective. They're, they're very not user-friendly, very unintuitive. As I mentioned earlier, they don't integrate well into enterprise workflows. And one of the biggest pieces that we focused on throughout the early stages of development was, you know, we partnered with these enterprise partners before we even had a finished product or before we even had an alpha uh, product. And we worked very closely with our partners to make the process as intuitive, as user-friendly, as uh, modern as possible. So shipping with one of our units, one of our IoT solutions is uh, literally as easy as uh, starting a, a bird or a Lime e-scooter bike. It's uh, it's a very simple process. So then 
I'm going to say this back to you to make sure I got the value prop right. So then you are going to an OEM, you're licensing to the solution to them, kind of like a, a SaaS license. Then the reason why they're doing that is because they could potentially get better rates from insurance carriers and they would certainly get, in theory, they would certainly get happier customers because they're getting product to that customer in a safer, more reliable way. Is that all correct? That is correct. And that applies, that second part applies to both the inbound and the outbound supply chains. So right. for them, yeah. you know, inbound supply chains, you think of an automotive or an industrial manufacturing company, they're getting raw materials and, you know, expensive parts from LCCs, uh, low cost countries all over the world with really long lead times, eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks. If that part, if you don't know that that part is running late, or you don't know that that part has been stuck at customs, or you don't know that that part has been damaged while it's being uh, shipped, and then that gets to your, you know, plant, and you don't have that part, or it's broken, or something's wrong with it, that cost of shutting down the line is tremendous. Uh, so both on the inbound side, you know, they care about the visibility, they care about not just being able to see where it is, but the condition that these products are being shipped in to make sure that nothing's wrong from a temperature humidity perspective, uh, no risk of damage, et cetera. And then on the outbound side, to your point, it's obviously a customer delight uh, to where they can intercept or, or they can go to the customer real time as an issue has occurred and say, hey, you know what? Our, our shipment to you guys has, has gotten stuck or uh, we think that, you know, there was a, a very heavy event and there was likely damage. So we're going to ship out, you know, a replacement order right away. And in the meantime, that OEM can go out and kickstart the, the claims process ahead of time. Got it. Perfect. I think one of the things that's particularly interesting to me about your story is um, you're, you're relatively early stage. You've got Sounds like nine pretty legitimate OEMs on board in, in terms of working with you through a beta. You've got some very nice investors already in in your first round. I'd love to know, like, where did that early traction come from? Is that all through introductions in the generator program? Like, is, is it that strong of a program or is that your background and, and your co-founder's backgrounds? in terms of just the networks that you were able to bring to bear out of the gate. I'd, I'd love to know. I mean, for a company as early stage as you, it sounds like you've got some great backing and traction. I'd love to know where you think at least that's coming from. Sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, my background, you know, I, I spent some time in, in the corporate world. I uh, spent some time in global supply chain uh, and strategic sourcing at Cummins. Uh, I did the whole uh, strategy and operations management consulting for a while, living out of a suitcase. And then I had actually spent uh, just about two years working on a different startup. I made a lot of connections that way. That that was you know a logistics startup. I made a lot of connections in, in the venture world, in the customer world uh, through that experience. At the end of the day, it ended up not working out from a standpoint of the team decided to go separate ways. There were just uh, different opinions as to how to move the company forward. And we ended up starting PackSafe, you know, halfway through the generator program. Uh, I think, you know, generator has what they call, you know, investor swarm. It's basically a three week investor roadshow. We <laughs> made that decision and, and really, you know, started our company fresh 
I think it was the day before. Uh, we were putting the pitch deck together all night, uh, not knowing anything about, uh, well, having limited understanding, I would say, of, you know, the industry that that we had kind of pivoted to and, and were targeting. And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of these relationships did come out of the program. It is a very strong program. You know, Joe and Troy, the founders are are great. They're always a text or a call away. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the traction wasn't, I, I wouldn't say it was immediate. So there were obviously a lot of questions and concerns from an investor point of view with regards to the whole split. You know, why, why did we do that? Why did it happen? You know, is it going to come back to bite us? It took us, you know, a good five months, four or five months to really work through that and to fully separate and, and to fully, you know, start put together a vision for, for PackSafe and, and what we think this can be. So we ended up closing our, our first, you know, what we call a pre-seed round of, of about a million bucks late last year in October of, of 2019. Uh, but yeah, the, I would say a, a big part of those investor relationships, some of them carried from my, my previous experience and, and from my own network. And some of, uh, a lot of them did come through Generator, but they were not, it certainly didn't happen overnight. The other thing I'll say about Generator, and I guess I'm kind of giving them a plug here, uh, you know, they it's not just the investor connections. You know, we we had a heck of a time going through the PPP application process with our with our bank. Uh, we went through you know a different bank that came highly recommended. They knew you know, and they know that a lot of their startups, their portfolio companies, are having issues. Uh, so they put us in touch with. Uh, a really good smaller kind of regional bank in Wisconsin. And it was the most simple, the most seamless process, you know, that, that I could have imagined. It was very different going through the second round of PPP applications than, than what we had to go through in the first. And, uh, and, you know, we got approved and, you know, so there's a lot of both immediate ROI. And then I would say it's, it's really a, a lasting ROI when you go through a program like like Generator, where they can you know literally jump in and help you through issues that come up at any given point in time. Awesome. Hey, Ilya, do you guys at PackSafe have any swag that you uh, hand out to employees or customers? We do. We, we have pens. We have coasters. Uh, typically, we'll get it before any big conference, uh, but very limited, I would say. Pens and coasters, man, that does not sound exciting at all. It's not. It's boring. You know, I, so I've asked this question a lot now, uh, or it, it, a lot is maybe relative, like at least 10 times. And uh, I think one of the most interesting ones that I've heard recently is uh, you can get branded hand sanitizer, which <laughs> given wow. the state of the world, uh, if you go to uh, future conferences, might not be a bad play. <laughs> That's perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, if you need more pens or coasters, you can head out to fuelmerchandise.com. The Fuel Merchandise Group does a bunch of uh, branded corporate materials. So it can be employee facing, customer facing, anything you want to put your logo on, they probably have it out there. And if you mention startup competitors, you'll get 10% off your first order. Awesome. Thanks for the insight. Switch gears a little bit. Talk to me a little bit about you had mentioned before. You you obviously don't have product market fit. You're working through your beta. That totally makes sense. What what do you think as you and your team talk about the future? What do you think product market fit looks like? When do you, what are the some of the signs that you're looking for that will make you think that you'll have it? 
or not, not that you will have it, that, that came out wrong, but, but like, when will you know you have it, I guess is the better way to ask that. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a good question. And I think different founders, different VCs will tell you different things. I think YC, Y Combinator, actually, a lot of their videos had put it best. It's basically, if you have to think about it, or if you have to ask yourself, you don't have it, you're going to know when you have it. And it's going to feel like the walls are being knocked down and you literally can't, you know, look up and, and get a gasp of air in because there's such a strong demand relative to anything that you'd experienced before. You know, in our case, we're working right now. The good news is I'd mentioned, you know, nine enterprise partners, 400 units out in circulation. This is literally on an average standpoint, about 5% of from a, from a, track X uh, unit count of what we would see in, in commercial runs. So these are fairly high volume use cases where, you know, some of our larger customers have use cases of a, more than 5,000 units on an annual basis. Some of the smaller ones are, are typically around that three to 500 mark. So these are not, you know, low volume shipments. These are pretty high volume uh, use cases. I think what we're trying to prove out now, you know, through these pilots is really First, from an IoT standpoint, uh, the validity of the and consistency, the accuracy and consistency of the data. So, not just can we accurately define each event that's going on, each excursion. Can we accurately say, you know, that this was this type of of damage that a temperature excursion happened here? Uh, but then beyond that, based on the historical data that we collect, how can we start to accurately predict? where these issues are most prone to occur and how does that accuracy look? I think, you know, obviously that second part is going to take time because you need a lot of historical data and, uh, you know, we don't expect to, to get the predictive part of what we're doing right, you know, at least for, for another year or, or two even. Uh, but making sure that we're, we're trying to set the gold standard in asset tracking and asset IoT tracking. The market, as I mentioned, is very fragmented. There's a lot of solutions out there. uh, And there is no one kind of clear leader for the reasons that I'd already listed. So we're trying to uh, use machine learning and various analytics principles to basically set the standard in the accuracy, the consistency, and the reliability of the data to provide much more contextual insights so that companies aren't just getting data, but they're getting data that then can answer. So what? What's been the most difficult challenge you guys uh, have faced to date in trying to take this product to market? That's yeah, I, that's a, that's a good question from a, from a company or from a product standpoint, I'd say, I mean, I, we have, you know, we got nine enterprise partners on board. So I think we're we're definitely doing something right, and that's probably from a pool of mm, I'd say forty to fifty viable you know conversations that we had that uh, had gotten to you know some form of of interest. So you know a twenty five twenty to twenty five percent conversion uh, in B two B is solid, pretty solid. I think obviously there are barriers through the B two B sales cycle that. 
I now appreciate a lot more being on the other end. I obviously I mentioned I was a part of supply chain and supply chain strategy and, and strategic sourcing at Cummins. Uh, so I, I understand the enterprise procurement process. Uh, I understand how you know suppliers and, and vendors are are vetted, uh, audited, etc. From a sales point of view, now you know there are just a lot of barriers and hoops that you have to run through. Everything from you know politics and internal you know corporate politics and going through the process, but also you know convincing people, convincing people of the the value prop and of the ROI especially before you have product or really any documented use cases. That's that's the biggest challenge in being a, you know, pre-product market fit, uh even to some extent uh, you know, when we were pre-revenue a, a pre-revenue company. That's that's really hard to sell. Uh you have people that <laughs> companies that think that they have real-time visibility. And, you know, you'll say, "Oh, cool. You know, let me see. What 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 process or what uh, tools are you using? And they'll provide you with a tracking number that you go and log into the carrier platform. And basically what you would go in to look at where your shipment is, you know, through through the Amazon platform or through a UPS platform. That's obviously not, not what we do and not what we provide. So communicating that, you know, that full value prop and that full scope of, of service of solution in, you know, a five minute, Time frame, or however long you have their attention, and and being able to do that, and being able to break through to the right person within the organization to do that is particularly challenging. From an administrative point of view, um, you know, we had to work through a major hurdle last year where uh, my my co founder Ashok, you know, had to go through uh, more or less a uh, lottery process. So he he went to grad school here. He went to Brown in the U.S. You know, but his his visa was expiring, and he had to go through the immigration lottery process. And that is, as you might know, a very randomized process with very little control or very little yep. uh, impact that you know a shook can directly make on making his case. We had to basically scramble and look for worst case scenarios where if he did not get through that lottery process. You know, he would have had to leave the country, leave the country. Uh, and we were fortunate enough, again, through our generator network to come into contact with a, a great group out of Michigan, uh, Global EIR, in partnership with Global Detroit. Ashok, you know, applied for the program. Uh, he got in. He got accepted. And, you know, that enabled him to stay in the U.S. Uh, so, again, I, I, I guess uh, I didn't mention this, this plug for generator, but their network has really kind of uh, saved us or, or gotten us out of some some pickles that we've we've gotten ourselves into uh, through this first uh, these first sixteen months of operation. That's awesome. Yeah. When you look forward, what do you think the next big challenge will be that the team's going to have to tackle? So right now, right when we look at PackSafe and, and what we envision ourselves, you know, becoming, we're figuring out the whole IOT piece. And we've, you know, developed a, a really good intelligence platform. We have two great um, machine learning engineers, Sahil and, and Vibov, who are just doing a fantastic job uh, on the product side, uh, on understanding customer requirements. But it's really the longer term vision of what we want to do with that data. And we, 
you know, we've already partnered, as I mentioned, with with some insurance companies that really buy into the concept of enabling themselves to use our data to provide smarter data-driven, you know, pricing for, for their insurance products. Uh, I think to get through that or to get to get that to work at scale, we need to get buy-in from the insurance brokers as well, because a lot of these insurance products and, and policies are purchased, you know, from the OEM side, at least are purchased through brokers. And the other piece of it is the insurance world is, is a very small world, it seems. And that's something that we're learning uh, where everybody more or less knows everybody, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the decision makers are based in London, as, as you might imagine. So, you know, while we've dipped our, our foot into that pool, uh, we certainly have, I would say, a long way to go in being able to effectively demonstrate that we can enable insurance companies to, you know, through a data-driven approach, price their products more effectively where they minimize their losses. Uh, they're able to, you know, charge a little bit less on the premium side for, for very low-risk shipments, which in most cases is 80 to 90% of the shipments, but then charge a bit more in the very high risk shipments, which is where they can offset, you know, a big portion of their losses. But getting to that and, and executing on that is uh, a pretty big challenge. We're certainly not putting the, the cart before the horse. So right now we're almost entirely focused on just getting the IOT piece right. Uh, but at the same time, we have to start rationalizing and, you know, putting a, a roadmap together as to what, how the IOT piece will influence the, the insurance piece of what we're doing down the road. Awesome. All right. I feel like I've already kept you a little bit too long. If folks want to get in touch with you or if they want to learn more about PackSafe, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. www.packsafe.com. That's our website. We have a LinkedIn presence. Look us up on LinkedIn, PackSafe. Get in touch with myself or my co-founder. It's it's just our first name at PackSafe.com. So uh, in my case, it's I-L-Y-A at PackSafe.com. Uh, my co-founder is Shook, A-S-H-O-K at PackSafe.com. Or you can just uh, reach out to one of our, our standard mailboxes, help at PackSafe.com. Uh, you'll, you'll get through to us any of those ways. Uh, we <laughs> haven't really started, I would say, actively. We've been flying under the radar a bit over these last, uh, probably through the first 12 to 14 months. And now that we've, you know, initiated these, uh, the pilots that we're doing, we're, we're starting to be a bit, a bit more conscious about how we position ourselves in the market, uh, setting up a social media presence. So, you know, for that reason, we, we really appreciate you allowing us to come on your show and conduct this episode. Oh, yeah, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.